0: This is the Living Vertazano Podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today looks at Romans 3, 1 through 8. In this passage, Paul addresses God's faithfulness. Together, we discuss our role as conduits of God's righteousness and faithfulness to the world.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm Nick.
0: I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany.
1: I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you this week to continue our journey through Romans together. Um, As a quick reminder in our episode last week, we finished out chapter 2 as we looked at Romans 2, verses 17 through 29. And in this passage, Paul discussed the shortfall of the Jews' dependence on the law. And from that, we around the table discussed what it means to be included in the family of God. Uh, This week, we're going to be dipping our feet into chapter 3 as we look at Romans 3, verses 1 through 8, where we examine Paul's conversation on God's faithfulness. Uh, I believe today we have Brittany reading for us. So Brittany, would you read Romans 3, 1 through 8?
2: Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. But some might say, our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair, then, for Him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were entirely fair, would He be just qualified to judge the world? But someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory and some people even slander us by claiming that we say the more we sin the better it is those who say such things deserve to be condemned
1: all right thank you for reading that for us Brittany Um, let's go ahead and move into our conversation about this Um, what are some thoughts or what are you guys seeing as we begin this conversation
0: So as we move into chapter three from our conversation that we had last week at the close of chapter two, we're kind of watching Paul uh, toe a line. And I feel like in here, we've been talking about like towing a line a lot where we don't want to overcorrect. And so I feel like these verses that we're focusing on this week are predominantly a result of Paul working to make sure his hearers didn't mishear what he was trying to say when he was talking about you know the law only has so you're putting too much emphasis on the law but he doesn't want them to overcorrect and say okay so what the law's worthless so what our circumcision is worthless it doesn't matter and i think this for me is a little bit easier to think about in the context if i replace some of these older um practices that we don't engage in anymore Um, with more modern church practices. So uh, you might ask yourself, for example, what value is there in baptism or what value is there in saying in, uh, saying the prayer, right? If we put all of our emphasis on being baptized, well, then we're missing that inward part. If we put all of our emphasis in praying this prayer of salvation, and then we just move on from that and forget everything else, then we've kind of missed the heart of that. And that's kind of what we were talking about last week but as we come into this week paul's saying but don't forget there is still some value in that baptism there's still value in praying the prayer of salvation because these things much like circumcision or much like being jewish um, these things have this value of i've made a covenant to be obedient unto god and i've made that covenant in my heart And I'm demonstrating it with this outward action. And so as Paul goes into chapter three, he's really kind of trying to make sure nobody misheard him previously and is saying, look, it it is still important. There is still value in these things like circumcision, but I don't want you to overemphasize the circumcision without also including an emphasis on what's going on in the heart.
3: And it's almost like he uses this opening as a, a means to remind them of what God really has entrusted them with—not just that He's entrusted them with, like uh, the law or or circumcision, but what that means, what what the law has the ability to do to help see help us see our need for for Christ and our need to rely on Him, not just to rely on the law. The law, apart from Christ, is just a set of rules. Um, but with Christ, it, it shows us our need for Him and how we are unable to do it alone. And so the very people that God has chosen, these Jews, Paul is, is reminding him, hey, I'm one of you, and I know that we've been given this. We, we are God's chosen people. We were meant to be His ambassadors, to go and be His priest to the nations, to the very Gentiles that you're bumping heads with. And so it just feels like very much like a reminder of you know a callback to remember what God has done remember what god- this this commitment that you made with god
1: yeah i I feel like as I think about this like connection between chapter two and chapter three and um maybe the line that that Paul is towing, I think he in the in the opening verses of chapter 3 he identifies and maybe even just redefines what the law and what circumcision what value they have what what value there is in being a Jew and and i would even like make the statement that it's kind of simple but the value is that in being the chosen people of God the Jews in having this thing called circumcision in receiving the law these people were a, a an avenue through which God demonstrated his faithfulness to humanity. Right. And so by redefining it, he essentially says, Look, I'm not diminishing it. Like it I'll be honest, I probably erred on the side of looking at like what Paul says in chapter two and say. Like, he's diminishing the role and the value of the law and of circumcision. And rightfully so. Like, that was what was going through my mind. But as we move into our conversation for today, and as I read these first couple of verses, like, it's not a diminishment of those things, but it's a redefining of those things, a reorienting of those things to help the Jews begin to recognize, like, and I guess we kind of had this conversation last week, like their chosenness was not for themselves. Right. Like they weren't chosen so they could be chosen. They were chosen so they could be a vessel of like to demonstrate God's faithfulness. Right. They, they received the law, not so they could serve the law, but they received the law as a demonstration of God's faithfulness to help them recognize their need for him. Right. And so rather than, I guess dismissing these things or dismi- diminishing like I was saying these things Paul begins to redefine the way the Jews maybe look at these things to help them understand that like it's not that there's no value in us being Jews right like there there's a value here and and maybe maybe my understanding of what that value was is different now yeah. and maybe it needs to be different now because my value is is the fact that God could use me to demonstrate His faithfulness, right. and that's a pretty valuable thing.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's something we should consider even today.
1: Like in our lives, we,
3: as the church, we we aren't any different. That's just right. just because we got saved, however many years ago, and and like I've done my part, I'm done. Like I've I've I'm cashed out. Like Jesus saved me. That's not the end. And if we make that the end, then we've, like the Jews, we've kind of just settled on our understanding of tradition and not on our understanding of what God is calling us to.
0: Well, and this is consistent with Jesus and what he taught, right? He said he came not to abolish the law, or you can insert your word diminish, not to diminish the law, but to fill it up, to make it full. And that's really what Paul is trying to do. This is the balance he's trying to walk. He's saying, like you said, I didn't get, I'm not getting rid of this. I'm not saying these aren't important. I'm saying they have a fuller meaning than what you guys in this argument between Gentile and Jew, what you guys are allowing right. to actually be seen. There's there's some there's a heart piece here that's not being included in the conversation. And that needs to be there because Jesus said it needed to be there
1: there's a, a word in this in verse two that stuck out to me as Brittany was reading it. And I know she reads the NLT. And so I was like, Oh, well that's, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Uh, but then apparently I just didn't notice it because it's also used in the NIV, but the word entrusted like that for me, that when I read that, like that's, that's mind blowing the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God is what NLT says, or the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God is what the NIV says. To entrust somebody means that you are placing trust in that person. And so if I think about it like that, like what value is there in being a Jew? Well, there's a huge value. Like right. God trusted you. Mm-hmm. God trusted you with his words, with his plan, with his mission. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Again, it's not so that way, like they could just be a special people, right? Like that's where the, it got lost in translation because they, they misunderstood the assignment, but like God entrusted them. He trusted them to accomplish his task and when I think about that, I mean, there's so many parallels as as you and as Natasha, you and Derek have been like drawing out already. But in the same way, you know, the closing words of Matthew call us to go and make disciples like the word entrusted is not used there, but like even today, just as God entrusted the Jews with his word to, to be a blessing to the nations. Like he has entrusted us. He has entrusted his church with his mission, even still today. And so as uh, like you were talking about, Derek, like as Christians, as people who have come to Jesus, maybe we've prayed the prayer or, um, you know, we've done these things, pray the prayer, we've been baptized, um, those are not the end in themselves. Like those are just the beginning of this journey now where we have the opportunity to be a vessel of God's faithfulness to the world. Like now we get to be part of that chosen people. Mm -hmm. Like Paul talked about last week, right? Like circumcision isn't an outward thing, but a circumcision of the heart. We talked about how in Matthew he says, you know, the people that are in my family are the ones who do the will of my father. And so this redefinition of being in the family. As we surrender ourselves to Christ, we become in the family. And as ones who are in the family, we're not in the family just so we can have a different last name. Yeah, We're in the family so that now we can have a different purpose. Yeah, And we can be people who are, are avenues, conduits right. of God's faithfulness to everybody else.
3: Yeah, we, we always talk about discipling, how we're always... You know, you're discipling someone to something. Um, And it's kind of the same way. Like the Jews were trying to reproduce something, but they weren't trying to reproduce followers. They were trying to reproduce Jews. Mm -hmm. And, And so instead of trying to reproduce someone that looks like you, talks like you, acts like you, reproduce someone that looks like Jesus, talks like Jesus, acts like Jesus.
0: Well, and this is the struggle that we have when we we unintentionally disciple people. We step into the role kind of of Jesus in their life. And there's an element of hand-holding, I think, in the beginning that has to be present. I think of my kids, and there's an element of me needing, absolutely needing to represent Jesus to them. Um, but in time, and and even now, even while they're little, I want them to begin having this relationship, this direct connection with Jesus. Because when my, my little girls, when they go to school and they've got to figure out how to navigate some sort of friend issue, I want them to be able to do that because Jesus is with them and because right. they're listening to him. And But if they're just going to respond the way that mom has instructed them to respond, so they're living by mom's (laughs) law that will came from Jesus as good intended as it is, Mm. it doesn't take into consideration the exact situation they're in and they have the spirit with them. And so if I can make disciples, not of myself following Jesus, but actually get them to follow Jesus instead of following me, following Jesus, then... That's going to be, I mean, that's what we want. And I feel like that comes into play exactly here because what you just said, Derek, the Jews are trying to make the Gentiles follow them as they follow Jesus, as they follow God, instead of allowing the Gentiles to follow the spirit of Christ directly.
3: Yeah. And like, as we have this conversation, this is the unfaithfulness that I feel like Paul is kind of alluding to as we talk about this. It's not that they've, they ha- they've been faithful to follow rules, but they've been unfaithful to help people see this real Christ, see this real relationship instead of this set of do's and don'ts. And, I mean, it's easy to fall into that trap. Yet, we know that despite, despite us, God is still faithful to l- working to reproduce Christ-like followers. Despite how we act or interact or react, He can he can work through our mess and still do that. But His call is for us to be faithful in that, to be faithful to that reproduction process where we help people get to know Jesus, not get to know me. I mean, yeah, we're going to get to know each other as this part of discipling, but don't get to know me and how I get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus on your own and be faithful to helping people follow that, much like you were talking about with your kids, Natasha.
1: Yeah. And I mean, as I think about this conversation with kids and with what you were just saying, Derek, like, uh, and then look at verse three, I, I guess as a father, knowing that I have this responsibility to raise children regularly, I find myself feeling inadequate regularly. I find myself thinking, man, I've just botched that. Like I have just failed at what I was supposed to do there. Um, and I would imagine That as the Jews maybe are thinking about what Paul is saying here about, you know, no, there is every advantage to being a Jew because you were the chosen vessel to demonstrate God's faithfulness to the world. I'd imagine they're sitting there going, oh man, like that's a huge thing. And undoubtedly, we have failed. I mean, we, all we have to do is think over our like history and I can see people who have failed. And probably some of them are sitting there thinking through their own lives going, Oh man, I've probably failed at that. And they begin having this, these feelings of inadequacy washing over them. And Paul, again, doing this really neat thing where he's essentially having a conversation, but it's in a letter, right? Addresses those thoughts before they're allowed to go in, like too far down the hole. And he says, look, undoubtedly there is unfaithfulness present, but God is still faithful. Like you were saying, Derek, like even in the midst of unfaithfulness, God is still faithful and he will still show himself as faithful. And that doesn't diminish our call to be faithful, right? but it also doesn't, become so oppressive in the sense that if man, if I mess up even once, like this whole thing's going to hell in a handbasket.
3: Right.
0: Well, and I I love that he quotes Psalm 51 here because it's right. It's David and it's right after the prophet Nathan has come to David and just confronted him with the, like horrible atrocity that he's just committed with regards to this adultery. He's committed with Bathsheba, but then also having Uriah executed. I mean, just all of these things. And he's like pointing to the unfaithfulness, but at the same time, we know the story. We know that God was faithful in his promise to David because the fulfillment is in Christ. Right. And so, yeah. and so he's saying, like, look, despite those mess ups, despite the the you know oopsies or the things that go wrong, God will remain faithful. And so we don't have to be stuck in the discouragement, like you said. Um, he he is faithful, and he he will carry out his promises, and he will work all things together for for the good of the kingdom.
3: Yeah, as I worked through this passage, I, I just thought about how. I'm so thankful that his faithfulness doesn't depend on me. Um, it can be easy, like you said, to put that kind of that you guys alluded to that pressure that we can put on ourselves by yeah. feeling like it, it all has to be on me. I have to be perfect all the time. And I, I think you talk about this a, a lot, Natasha, about having it's not about, you know, living a perfect life, but having a perfect heart. And so God like God can see our heart. Um even in the midst of our, our mess up. And so, um, you know, I, I'm just thankful that I fail epically more often. It feels like more often than not that I fail, but He is faithful. And His faithfulness isn't dependent on on me, which is, is as, as you pointed out, Nick, a relief that yeah. I don't have to carry all that.
1: What Paul is employing here in this part of Romans, and he employs elsewhere, is known as hypothetical inter, interlocutor. And so essentially, it's when he um, invents a conversation partner to essentially ask questions that he then is going to be addressing. And so it's like he. He creates a conversation partner in the midst of his letter, in the midst of his discourse. So it's not just a monologue, but a back and forth, as he um, anticipates potential questions or potential uh, hang-ups that the hearer might be having as he is talking through these things. And so we just identified this, what we say is is a relief, but we just identified this this reality that. Even in the midst of our unfaithfulness, even in the midst of the unfaithfulness of the Jews, God is still faithful. And so Paul gets ahead of this conversation and this with his conversation partner, uh, anticipating this idea of that some people might have where they would say, well, um, if my unfaithfulness demonstrates God's faithfulness even more, then why not just continue to like go off in this unfaithfulness. Like why not spiral down in my unfaithfulness and my unrighteousness so that God's faithfulness and God's righteousness can just be shining through. And that's where Paul now turns uh, for the remainder of what we're going to be talking about for the day, which is it from verses five through verse eight um, in addressing this kind of erroneous thinking. For me, the the thing that I see
3: in this, in this whole portion, this verse five through eight is much like the faithfulness of God, His righteousness does not depend on us. He is righteous, period. Um, and something that we talked about on Sunday, I feel, is that when we are faithful and we live a righteous life, um, it only like amplifies or magnifies who He is. When we're able to live those things out, because then it's it's no longer as people notice what God's doing in our lives, we have the opportunity to share the stories of what God's done. It no longer becomes about me and about my faithfulness. My faithfulness is a direct reaction or result of what God's done. My righteousness is a direct uh, reaction or result to what God's done. So there's nothing in that that I can take credit for, because. I can't do those things on my own. I need God working in and through me to be able to accomplish that level of faithfulness and that level of righteousness that he that Paul is talking about in in relation to the Jews. And so it's it's not about me. Um he's righteous regardless. He's faithful regardless. And so like we can't put like I don't feel like there's conditions on God's Faithfulness and God's righteousness. Um, even though I saw a commentator that you know that alluded to that, that his his faithfulness is conditional. I I just I I didn't see it at least in this passage that way.
0: I feel like since we've we've just talked about how we've been entrusted, right? Either the Jews were entrusted, or we can read us into this today and say the church has been entrusted um, with being the conduits of him or representatives of him to the world. And so if we bear that in mind, then that really makes no sense because our unrighteousness then causes a world who doesn't know him right. to perceive him as unrighteous. Yeah, that's good. And so that that becomes a major issue if we're our, our job is to be these representatives or as Paul later says, our ambassadors. Yeah,
3: that wouldn't magnify his righteousness at all. No, <laughs> no not at all.
1: So I guess two things from this that, that we talked about at the team table. Um, one, in reference to what you said, Derek, about how like his righteousness is not dependent on my righteousness. We, we spent a lot of time at the team table talking about that and how like, if we define God's righteousness through the lens of our unrighteousness, We make God's righteousness dependent on and defined by humanity. Yeah. And to define God by humanity elevates humanity above God and puts humanity in the place that it was never intended to be. And with that, we also talked about how it is incomplete to define something by what it is not. So at our, at our table, we were talking about how, like, I was like, can you um, define a, uh, a square for me? So imagine we have this picture in front of us. We have a circle, we have a square, and we have a rectangle. Can you define a square for me without actually telling me what a square is, but tell me what it isn't? And they were like, well, it's not round. It's like, great. So that eliminates one of the things from the scene, but we still don't understand what a square is because there's still two things left that look different. And one of them could be a square, and one of them isn't a square. Maybe we, but we don't know because we've defined what it is by what it isn't. And in the same way, when we, like, when we look at what Paul is talking about here, like he is warning against defining what God is by outlining what God isn't, and that's just—I I, mean—that's silly. That's absolute silliness. Um, God is God. We are not. And we've got to stop trying to reason and logic our way into a full understanding of who he is. That's just not our place. God is righteous, always, whether I'm righteous or not. Right. My unrighteousness or my righteousness does not change the level of his righteousness. Right. Period. The other thing that This conversation brought to mind um, from what you were saying, Natasha, about this idea of us being like conduits of God's faithfulness, conduits of God's righteousness and how, like, man, it's no wonder the world is messed up because we are so messed up. And if they think that, like, if their understanding of God's righteousness is is coming by means of what we look like, like, there's no hope. And so we also kind of talked about that at our table and how, um, we looked at righteousness as like light. And so if we were to imagine that like God is the brightest light and we are, since we are conduits, we are a, a, a window. I imagine that an unrighteous window would look kind of dirty, right? And so if God's righteousness we've already identified is a constant thing, so this light is just constantly bright, and the rest of the world is on the other side of the window because I'm supposed to represent a conduit of God's righteousness to the rest of the world, but I am super unrighteous, and so my window is super dirty, the perspective that the rest of the world is going to get of God's righteousness is or of God's light is not going to be a very bright light. Like it's going to be cloudy. It's going to be dim. Like obviously they're going to see that it's light, but it's not going to be as light as it should be. And so when we clean the window, when we become more righteous, right? I recognize that maybe this is falling short, but you know, bear with me in the picture. As we allow Christ to make us righteous, I imagine that window gets cleaner. And as the window gets cleaner, the light that's able to pass through becomes closer and closer to the fullness of that light that exists on the other side of the window. And so when people see, are looking at the window and seeing the light, they are seeing a clearer representation, clearer Mm -hmm. understanding of just how righteous, just how bright that light is. And so, like, no. Our unrighteousness does not allow God's righteousness to shine through all the more. Right. Our righteousness, as you were saying, Derek, when we think about that picture specifically, is what allows God's righteousness, God's light to shine through all the more. Because we become less. We, we become right. less of a distraction. And people are able to see him.
2: So I'm reading this book about um, positive. It's called The Power of Positive Leadership. And one, um, the section that I'm on that I read last night was talking about accountability and love. And I kind of caught me off guard because love isn't really something that I think about in the workplace. Um, I, I think more of, you know, like respect and that kind of stuff, um, but not so much love. But I think it applies to this this passage, because it talks about with, if you have love and no accountability, then you, you just have like this fluffy, like, oh, it's okay. And there's not a lot of greatness and not a lot of, nothing's produced through that. But if you have accountability and no love, then you just have kind of what the Jews had, like Mm. just doing what we say we're supposed to do. And just, you know, without that relationship, but if you have both, then you have accountable people who feel loved. They produce great things and, you know, they feel connected. And I think that can, you know, goes in the workplace and also can be here is if we are, if God holds us accountable, but doesn't love us, then we're just going to do follow the rules if he just loves us, but doesn't hold us accountable, then we're just going to sing kumbaya. But if he holds us accountable and loves us, then we can change the world. Mm
0: -hmm. And this is, that's the fine line that Paul is trying to, to balance as Mm -hmm. he spells this out for the Jews and the Gentiles. Remember ultimately trying to bring unity to, to these two groups over this very divisive issue um, that really is testing some core beliefs that some of them have held since childhood.
1: And so, I don't know, maybe if we kind of hold together what you were just saying, Brittany, and this idea of love and accountability and bring in that thought picture, as silly as it might be, that I was talking about with the, the youth on Sunday and then also in this podcast and recognize that just the fact that we have the opportunity to be that window, like that's a demonstration of God's love for us. Like he has chosen us. He, he has created us for a purpose and called us to a purpose. And so we, we are this window and that's that love, but our windows kind of dirty. And if, he were to not have any kind of accountability, that window would just be allowed to get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. And we wouldn't be very productive at accomplishing the task that he had called us to, which was, which is to be a conduit of his, his righteousness and his faithfulness to the world. But as, as we allow and invite that accountability into our lives, he is able to begin to clean that window And as that window becomes cleaner and that melding together of, of the love, which allows us to be the window and the accountability, which cleans the window comes together. We begin to reflect more and more that like ideal conduit that he has called us to be, and we can be productive for his purpose. And so as we kind of talked about on Sunday, maybe this week, the, the invitation is for us to recognizing that we are loved and we are chosen by God for his purpose to allow him to search us and begin maybe even the painful process of removing some of that grime from our window so we can be a, that better conduit for him in the world around us so that people can see us and, and or look at us and actually see God's faithfulness more clearly.
0: As you journey with us, we recommend purchasing Midweek Meditations, a journey through Romans, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.